This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. Hi, welcome to today's episode and I am so, so, I don't know, utterly excited to be talking with Francesca Carnati, somebody who we've just met on social mm-hmm. media, on mm-hmm. Facebook, and you joined a group and we've just got to know each other, but you live with multiple sclerosis. Cool. And obviously that's kind of where I'm at and that's where we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so grateful for you being here. So we're Thank talking you for the opportunity. across the pond, aren't we? Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so you live across the ponds now, but mm-hmm. you, you've been quite an international uh, jet setter and you have lived in lots of different places. Tell me more. Of course, my pleasure. So first of all, let me say thank you for the opportunity to come and talk with you and to share my story. And to give you background, I was born and raised in California. I'm the oldest of three. And I went to a boarding school, and I think that's when my interest for international cultures really first began. Meeting people from different places and understanding how much we have in common opposed to what we have different. That started my interest. For university, I went to Washington, D.C., and that's around the time I got my first passport. And from there, I was a chaperone for an all-girls basketball team going to Amsterdam. After that first trip, I was absolutely hooked. I was like, this world is for me and I need to explore it. And that's where it really started. So over the years, visiting different countries, usually traveling by myself, absolutely enjoying it. Again, finding out what was similar opposed to what was different. And it came a point in my life where I felt I had these amazing trips. And then I come home and I feel kind of sad and depressed, like, oh, the fun is over. So that led me to say I wanted to live in another country. I chose Asia because I was always interested in so much. My choices were among um, Japan, China, and Korea. I felt China was too big, and I felt a little insecure with that. Korea, I've always had an interest, but not the same type of passion I had for Japan. And I think that could be said for everybody worldwide. We, Everybody knows samurai or geisha or green tea <laughs> or anime. There's just some type of... Um, iconic feeling we have about Japan. So I went to the land of the rising sun and my intention was to go for one year. And this was teaching English. I went there, fell in love with the country, fell in love with being brand new because I'm an adult, but I get to be a child again in this new culture. And I ended up staying there for a total of 13 years. And (laughs) exactly, that's how much I loved it. And the only reason actually why I came back was because of my health which we'll get into later, which led to the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. But that was the only reason why I left Japan. So you went there. And could you speak any Japanese before you went? At the time, I could not. In teaching English, they actually preferred that we didn't know Japanese because then it gave it a more um, authentic feeling teaching the students because that meant we couldn't cheat and explain it in Japanese. So when I went, of course, I felt a little insecure, a little doubtful, but I was very, I was more excited than I was scared of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And my mindset was, and like all things that I do, if I go and I don't like it, all I have to do is get on a plane and come back home. And so that's how I, I usually approach things that are a little bit scary or intimidating, try, 
if I don't like it, come back. And of course, as we now know, 13 years of living there, it was the best thing I could have done. I absolutely loved it. I loved teaching English. I loved learning the culture. And eventually I got to the point of wanting to learn Japanese, one, out of respect for living in the country, and two, just to experience it in a deeper way. There's only so much you can do in a foreign language, in a foreign culture. Some things that you want to experience more closely, more intimately, it would be helpful to speak the language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were living out in Japan. Yeah. Um, What sort of things were going on for you then, as well as having a great time and teaching English and experiencing a new Mm -hmm. culture, a new way of interacting, Mm -hmm. etc. But what was going on? What was making your life difficult? What do you mean in terms of making my life difficult? The symptoms Oh, I see what you're saying. So when I first got there, I had no symptoms. I had nothing. I actually was in Japan, maybe about five years. I was living there fine, completely able-bodied, no issues, no problems. I climbed Mount Fuji twice. I went skydiving, super duper active, lots of walking, a very healthy lifestyle. So when the first symptom came on, and I can see it now because hindsight being 2020, I was walking. I was walking an extended amount of time, maybe about three hours. I didn't really have on the best shoes for walking. I wasn't planning on walking that long. And I noticed this heaviness in my right leg. And I start, I would pick up my foot and I kind of like slapped my foot on the ground. I wasn't really placing it and didn't really think much of it because I was so healthy at the time. I'm living my best life. And I thought, okay, maybe Um, I didn't have the right shoes on or I was tired or, you know, any number of reasons and went home, went to bed. Next day I was fine and my body returned and everything was was usual. And in retrospect, I understand those are really kind of those beginning signs of when something is happening in our body. We tend to ignore it because we're like, well, that was unusual. That's not you know, I live a good lifestyle. That's not something that would usually happen. So I don't know. It was just that day. And that's the way I took it. What happened over the course of the next several years is this feeling that I had this heaviness in my left leg in particular, excuse me, in my right leg in particular, it was coming more frequently and it was lasting longer. So now I'm starting to feel like, oh, something's going on. Still didn't really fully admit it. I still thought this is something I can manage. I can control. Um, I made adaptions around my lifestyle. So I wasn't walking as much. I wasn't exploring or doing the things I did, but I'm like, I'm living my best life. I'm in Japan. I couldn't be healthier if I tried, you know? So I just, and I think we all get into that stage because we feel sensitive about our health. And if we think something's wrong, we really don't want that confirmation. So as long as we're functional, Mm -hmm we will keep pushing. And that's what I did. In retrospect, I could have and should have definitely explored sooner what was going on. But I think, um, and I never really thought about it until now, a part of me was like, I don't want to stop living my dream life by being told something that I don't want to hear. So, you know, ignorance is bliss. I'm just going to push through, (laughs) live my best life and um, keep adjusting until I got to a point where I could no longer adjust, I could no longer compensate, I could no longer work around. And that's when I made the decision that I needed to return to the States. And 
start that process of what is going on with me from a medical point of view. Yeah. And that, like you say, if you mm-hmm. found something wasn't the right thing for you, then it was just a plain journey away. But that must have been quite right. a difficult decision to make. It was. It was very emotional. It was very um, on so many levels because I was dealing with the sadness of leaving a country that I really loved. And I knew one day I would leave, but I didn't want to leave under those conditions. And then I was dealing with the what's going on with my body. And I hope it doesn't get worse. And at the time when I was returning to the States, my thought was, okay, I'm coming back to my country. This is my language. I'm going to um, go to the doctors. I guess we'll probably do a couple of tests. We'll figure out what it is. And then, you know, we'll have a course of action. In reality, what happened was it took three years to get my diagnosis. I was not prepared for that at all. And it made me realize and what I would love to share with people who might be in a similar position of trying to identify an ailment that they have. It's not always going to be a direct take a test. This is what you have. That's what I expected. For me, the reality was it was a process of elimination. So I was taking tests. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. I wasn't prepared to hear no so many times. I wanted to hear, yes, this is what you have. Yeah. And so yeah. that in itself was very emotional because I'm taking tests. I, I know what it's not, still don't know what it is, which then leaves me to wonder, is this going to get worse? Is this going to be more than what I'm doing right now? And that was probably, not probably, it was definitely the most difficult part of the journey. The process of getting the diagnosis was more difficult than being told I had multiple sclerosis, which was hard, but I had a name which now meant I had a way to kind of grieve or heal and move on. And I had a way to make a strategy of how I'm going to move forward with my life. And at any point in that time that it took, had MS ever been on the potential list? When had you been Googling and doing what people do? Right. No, that was a good question. I personally never came up with that as a solution, but it was suggested. So I ultimately had to see three neurologists. And the last one was an MS specialist who absolutely, you know, I did some testing and said that. So I think the first neurologist said it might be, but it was not definitive. So I did not accept that diagnosis because it might be lupus. It might be any number of things. And so might be was not something that I was willing to um, spiral out around because you don't know but Mm -hmm. it was put into my mind that this is a possibility so I was familiar and I did do research on it but um, again I had to be mindful to not spiral out from self-diagnosing or you know making this dire reality of my future I just knew this is a possibility but I'm in the here and now and this is where I need to keep my focus and this is where my power is. I can't, I'm powerless if I shut down over what could be. So this is where I am right now. And literally the one day at a time, this has definitely taught me one day at a time mentality. (laughs) And when you live with MS, Mm -hmm. that is is the only mentality Mm -hmm. that works ultimately. But I think in terms of everything you were saying, this process of elimination, Mm. we've got a member of the family who was going through a similar process of elimination. Okay. And she was going through 
all the different tests mm-hmm. lots similar to me and she said oh they think it might be ms from mm-hmm. and you know i bit my tongue and i mm-hmm. couldn't say yeah it sounds like it and it turned out mm-hmm. it wasn't ms and it's something mm-hmm. much much worse oh i'm sorry so so she was diagnosed with motor neurone disease mm. so that has um so that that is the end of the road basically mm-hmm. um okay. with motor neurone disease and so it taught me that i can never say to anybody it sounds as though everything you're saying it sounds that's like such it's a good point ms that's such a good point because yeah. we're not skilled to diagnose and even though it can sound similar and that's why i didn't even accept when they said it might be because i'm like it can mimic so many things so yeah. no one needs to go down a road of false hope or fear you know, just you got to take one day at a time and wait till you get the definitive answer so you know how to respond. So you can, you know, you definitely have to grieve with that. You have to give yourself space to be hurt and sad and disappointed and angry and all the things you need to do to get to the other side to start recreating your new life and living your new best life. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So, so you've got that diagnosis in the States. Correct. And was there any sort of pressure on you? I don't know how things work out in the States, but mm-hmm. from a disease-modifying therapy or disease-modifying drugs, is that something that's available to you? And mm-hmm. there is this inherent pressure to say, mm-hmm. if you're going to do them, get on them as soon as you can. And I think ah, that's I often why, yeah, that's often why people get frustrated when there's a delay in getting a diagnosis because they're thinking oh well I can't start taking these drugs and everything is saying start the drugs as soon as you can so is what what happened in terms of any treatments did you opt for them that is such an interesting point in question and you make me realize how I come from such a different point of view my whole attitude prior to this was this is before the di- the official diagnosis. I was not interested in medication in any way, shape, or form unless it was specifically to um, give a desired result. So I'm not the person, like, even if I don't feel well, I'm more inclined to sleep. Mm-hmm. Or depending on how bad I feel, I'm either fasting or if I feel in a different way, I'll eat. So I'm very much still mindful of my body's ability to heal, to be strong, to support my immune system. And that's my first line of defense. So I've never been one like, you know, okay, what prescriptions can I get? I was receptive to it because now they told me they had a name for it. So for me, I have something called primary progressive MS. And evidently, for whatever reasons, um, there weren't a lot of medications for this specific stage of having MS. And so when I was diagnosed, there was something new called Ocrevus, which is an Mm -hmm. infusion. And my neurologist was able to work with the pharmaceutical company. I think it's Gentech that uh, makes it and my insurance company. And I was able to do my first infusion and not have to worry about the cost. Uh, I did it, didn't have any negative reactions, which was a, a beautiful thing, but I also didn't have any positive reactions. And it's something that you're meant to do like every three months, I think. And I made the decision. I did it one time because I gave it a chance. <laughs> And I decided after that, I would not take it again. It did not serve me. What I wanted, the the biggest issue that I have is something called spasticity, the tightness in my right leg. And it leads to fatigue and it makes me tired for walking and it impacts my balance. I was willing to take Ocrevus because, 
you know, some people have had positive results in those areas. But as you know, MS is different for every single person. Nobody will ever have it present the exact same. Mm -hmm. And it did nothing for my walking, which was what I wanted. It did nothing for my balance. It did nothing for the tightness. So I felt there is no need to force my body, to force my kidneys and my liver to process this poison because although it's a medicine, it's a poison to my body, right? Yeah. So I'm in this situation where I tried it. I gave it a, a chance. It didn't work. I don't want to keep... Um, putting this into my body, not seeing the the benefit for it. And thankfully that one time it was able to be covered. But what if in the future they're like, oh, you're gonna have to pay more. Now I, I'm becoming indebted to a medication that's not serving my body. So that was the first and last time I took something related to my condition. What I do, I think there's a saying, I forget all seven, but they're like the best doctors are like sunshine and rest and fresh air and laughter and family. So those are my doctors. Mm-hmm. I always do something, I'm mindful to always try to be physical and do something to keep my body in motion. Right now I'm going through a physical therapy that's more geared towards helping me with my mobility, but that, that's been my focus. So that was my first and last time to take medicine for this. And that was about three years ago. And since then, it's been about positive attitude, 100%. like you say, yeah, diet. and Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are you still are you still able to do walking? Are you still able to find your local hill to climb up or is that? Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> um actually speaking, which I did climb a mountain was it last year or actually two years ago. And what I found and what I learned, my new favorite word since dealing with all of this is adaptive. Adaptive anything. Adaptive, I've taken adaptive golf. Um or adaptive hiking, which just means at my pace and my time, when I'm tired, I stop. When I'm not, I go. And so, of course, the old me had to get over the, I go there by myself, I do it by myself, I do it until I'm, you know, as long as I'm supposed to. Now my attitude is do it as long as I can. And then I stop. And I had to understand that stopping is not the same thing as quitting. And so once I got out of that mindset, because before my attitude was like, you have to start and you don't, stop. You don't stop until you're done. And now giving myself permission to stop as needed and to keep going. And so that's how long did it, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to adjust to that adaptive mindset and being able to recognize that mm. you could stop and that it was in your interests to stop? Well said, definitely in my interest. Um, I was diagnosed in 2018. 2019, I learned of something called adaptive golf. I'd always been interested in golf, but I was like, oh gosh, that's such an expensive sport and it's a lot of walking and how unrealistic for me to be doing that right now. (laughs) It was kind of one of those, when I get better, I'll do it things. And then I learned of something called adaptive golf that is free for the participants. It's mostly veterans, but it's people that have any type of cognitive or physical challenge that makes it difficult for them to play the game in its, you know, I guess, correct form, if you will. And so I went there, it was free. So cost was not an issue. Um, It was a community of people dealing with different things. So that support was there. So I didn't feel self-conscious about stopping. So what I found was being in a group of like-minded people definitely gave me permission to stop and breathe, um, to be grateful. There's some people that were playing golf in wheelchairs. There's some people playing golf that are paralyzed. 
So it's actually a blessing that I can go. I'm lucky that I get to stop and start again. So what I took as um, setbacks, I look now as opportunities and blessings and lucky me. What made me feel like, ah, is now, ooh. (laughs) And so that did a lot uh, for my confidence in general. And, you know, once you kind of climb that first little molehill or mountain or challenge that you thought you couldn't, you get more comfortable to do the next one and the next one. And and that's what happens just progressively. Um, Doing more things that I thought I couldn't do that, of course, I can't. Just how am I going to do it? And and very empowering. And then makes me feel, yet again, I can do anything. Just I might take a little bit longer than you when I do it. If I want to. If I want to do it. Yeah, I've still got Mount Kilimanjaro on my list. Oh, wow. That's I have awesome. no idea. I have no idea if that will ever come to fruition. But it's there. It's there you know something that I'm going to try. I'm so glad you said that because that reminds me um, what was a turning, another turning point for me was, and I like, I like to watch inspirational videos and I watch videos of people with different abilities. Um, doing things that we thought they couldn't do. So I saw a man who was a quadriplegic who actually climbed Kilimanjaro. And I was like, Uh, you know, he went with his team. He absolutely trained. He had special, um, I guess, coverings for on on his, um, what would be his hands and his feet to just um, help him. He was literally on all fours. He climbed a mountain on all four. And what he said was, I just focused on what was in front of me. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at the entire mountain to be intimidated and scared and to shut down. I just looked what was in front of me. Okay, so I'm just going to do these three feet. Good. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do these three feet. That was such a game changer for me. And it made me realize that it's really about our own personal desire. It's not about can we do it or not. Some things we're not interested in. So no, I cannot climb Mount Kilimanjaro because I'm not interested. So I will not be able to do that. But... Yeah. If I'm interested, I will absolutely find a way to do it. Mm. And that was such a game changer for me. And for us to understand there's some things that we can't do is probably more so because we don't want to. It's not that we can't. It's just that we don't have the desire. We're not all supposed to like and want and desire the same things. And that's okay. Mm. And I will put my hands up and say, I don't want to do the cooking every night. Therefore, I can't. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. but my husband Mm -hmm. can and he loves it. Oh, yay! Teamwork. Teamwork makes a dream work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that is is so right. It's about, Mm. you know, where is your own drive and your own desire to do something? Correct. Correct. Where's your passion or where's your curiosity? I think it's, you know, I don't like, and I'm always mindful when people like the things I've done and they're like, oh, I can never do that. You can do what you want that interests you. I'm passionate about the things I do, which is why I'm able to do them. Mm -hmm. So don't look at me and say, oh, I wish I could do that. That's probably not your calling. That doesn't move you. And that's why you can't do it. There's something you can do that I'm absolutely not interested in and would have no desire trying to do. Find what that is for you and do that. Don't worry about what other people are doing and say, I can't do what they do. You're not supposed to. That's not your calling. That's their calling. Mm, absolutely mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm going to be taking those words and putting those as a little snapshot out the back of this <laughs> so how has it impacted having the diagnosis eventually 
How has that him- impacted on, say, your work and things like that? I would say the biggest impact um, for me was just that was the beginning of my healing of coming back into myself. So prior to my diagnosis, I imagine myself and my lifestyle and all that I was doing, like I was on the summit. I was on the peak. This whole downhill experience took me into a valley and I just kind of sat down and just was like, now that I feel like I gave up and give up in the sense of even caring about a future because I was just so preoccupied with what's going on right now. When I got the diagnosis and after I went through my grieving process and you know coming to terms with it and accepting it, it allowed me to stand back up and slowly start a new path. It allowed me to move forward and it allowed me to find new ways to find purpose and meaning because that's really what this is all about. It's really about your sense of purpose, your sense of meaning. And I had to find myself in such a way that was related to physical abilities before. And so now I had to redefine myself and understand I'm still the same person. Nothing has changed in that aspect. The physical is different. So now I have to redefine how do I have that impact? How do I make myself feel happy and satisfied? And it's doing things like this, having conversations with you, sharing with people who might not understand that this is a process and that sadness does not have to be forever. That is your choice. At some point, you will have to make the choice to say, I'm tired of being tired or I'm tired of feeling sad. And not to say put on a happy face and push down your emotions, but Take those baby steps to find your new you, your new reality. And so these are the things that give me purpose and satisfaction and, you know, sharing my adventures or my philosophy for someone to feel encouraged or inspired. So that's how it's changed me to redefine myself and then to (laughs) share that with others who may need this. And it doesn't even have to be a physical situation. It could be a financial situation that someone's going through or confidence or whatever that, however it presents itself to know that we don't have to stay in that place. We can, we can move beyond. So are you working, do you work with people doing this, this kind of positive? I don't even know how would, how I would explain it. No, I understand what you're saying. The reason why I'm smiling is because by default, I have always worked. If you know me, then you're going to get this. So my default answer is yes, I do that all the time because with us having this conversation, it is a natural expression of who I am. I think that's one of my special gifts that I have been tasked to share with others. But in terms of professionally, what I really do is I'm working, as I said, with entrepreneurs and small business owners to scale their business. But in the process of doing that, there's also a mindset aspect. And I feel like by default, if you talk to me, you're always going to get the benefit of my perspective and that that philosophical approach. So that's why I'm smiling because I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's just who I am. And that's what comes out. That's not necessarily what I do professionally. But if you sit. It's not intentional. Correct. Correct. If you sit with me for 20 minutes, you're going to get it. No, I get that. And I think that's why I've sort of picked up from every time that we've interacted online. Mm. You know, you just get that whole, the positivity, the mindset, the focus and the drive. And Mm. it's evident. Um, I'm wondering a couple of things, Francesca. I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. where do you think your 
positive outlook? Where does it originate? That is such a powerful question. And I have been asked that many times. And my, this is what I've come to be uh, my answer. It's a combination of factors. And so I'm very aware of this. I actually feel grateful. I feel privileged to have the personality and the attitude I have. And it's a combination of factors, some in my control and some not. The first thing I would say is coming from a strong family of love and support. I always felt loved and supported as a child. I felt encouraged to be opinionated, to support my views. So at a very early age, I had a sense of self. And that fundamental aspect has stayed with me throughout my life. If anything, it's just evolved and I've developed it. So I would say fundamentally, the way I grew up and the love and the support that I had to be the best version of me unapologetically. Um, The next thing I think would be my natural curiosity. I'm curious about people and situations and learning something that's new. I'm not intimidated by the unknown. It just means unknown. So now I want to know. And I think a lot of people are scared and they're like, but what if that's what it is? I think my mindset, people say, look at things, what could go wrong? And I look at it as what could go right. And Mm -hmm. I notice our point of attention will absolutely bring to us what we focus on. And this is just now this is trial and error. So this is obviously a lifetime of experience. I mean, I didn't come out wise (laughs) like this and making all the right decisions. But trial and error, I noticed when I focus on what could go wrong, guess what? Stuff goes wrong. When I focus on what could go right, if something goes wrong, I adjust and I keep moving towards my goal. So I really feel that point of attraction where we put our focus is what we manifest. And because I know that, because I'm fully aware of that, I will always intentionally, conscientiously pour positive energy into a situation. That's not to imply that it's always sunny. That's not to imply they're not obstacles. It means when that obstacle comes up, I will go around it and I will keep going towards my goal. If someone focuses on what could go wrong, as soon as something goes wrong, they stop. They're like, ah, see, confirmation. I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew this was no good. I'm going to stop. And I'm like, oh, look at that. There's an obstacle in my way. How do I get around that? Mm -hmm. Ah, I got around it. Oh, so that was like a win. I'm going to take that win and use it as I move forward. So my childhood my curiosity for life, my desire, my understanding from my experience is that what we focus on is exactly what we will get. I absolutely expect the best from every situation. And when I get less than the best, and then I will see what I need to do to tweak it to make it better. And you know you're going to get that. And it happens every time. Like this, this opportunity to be able to talk with you, this is our first conversation and we're sharing and we're bringing value to people. There was no way for me to know when I joined your boot camp, which was, that's why I resonated with you. You were coming from such a positive mindset and you wanted to give people who were newly diagnosed the opportunity to say, I know you're lost, but consider this go down this route, look in this direction. You know, we're like, there's nothing here for me, but we never look to the other side to see maybe all the possibilities that were there. So because of that, I feel, I don't want to say, you know, everything goes my way, but it will, but before I'm finished with it, it will go my way. (laughs) (laughs) So where is 
where is your ship pointing? What's the kind of, what's the ambition and the goals that you've got? I'm being nosy now, aren't I? No, and I love it. I love it because you're actually challenging me. So I think I've always known in my mind, but it's it's better to put words on it because words have energy. And that's why I'm very mindful of that. My One of my goals for this year is to increase my mobility. I use a cane. Um, I tire easier than I would like to in terms of walking. I would like to build that endurance up. And I've, I know it's absolutely possible. It's about my commitment to myself. And it's about saying that it can be done. Of course, the pandemic and being in the house has not helped much. But again, that's my choice. That has nothing to do with me being able to walk to the mailbox or doing yoga in my room. These are all choices. Our situation doesn't always have to dictate what we can or cannot do. So I'm just wanting to, I've gotten comfortable with myself mentally and emotionally, and I want to get more comfortable with myself physically, which means pushing myself, which means I'm going to be tired and I'm going to be sore and it's not going to feel good. But I want to do that to, to be stronger, to be better. I want to continue doing what I'm doing, which is helping, actively helping people grow their businesses and in the process, instilling my philosophy, my attitude about just life in general. I think those are the main things that I'm interested in. And of course, my relationship, continuing to, to grow that and deeper and build um, those are the things that um, I'm wanting and just to always find something to be grateful on every day because it's absolutely something. If that something just includes, I woke up, I opened my eyes and that's my highlight. Well, then <laughs> that is because a lot of people didn't wake up today. A lot of people didn't make it into 2021. You know, people okay. who were younger than me, healthier than me. So everything that we have is an opportunity to be grateful and to do more. And, and that's just my, my focus. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. So before we finish mm -hmm. for today, mm -hmm. I always round up an episode with two questions. Okay. And I can't remember your reaction says to me that I probably didn't tell you about this beforehand, mm -hmm. but I always ask, ignore the pandemic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Put that mm -hmm. to one side. Okay. If you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? And what would you be drinking? And you can tag on who would you be with if you want. Okay. Well, then this is what I got. Okay. I'm here for this. So what I'm going to do is, <laughs> you said one place, but what I'm going to do is going to make a trip that requires a layover that allows me to say someplace. So basically I'm cheating and I'm adding two locations into it. That's okay. So what I want to Appreciate you. Yeah, you see, I like to color outside the lines all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time you're like, that's not what I said, but that's what I'm going to do because it's, <laughs> it's my vision. So with Frank, who is my significant other, um, I would like to, actually, the only thing that I'm hesitating because it would absolutely be uh, Freetown in Sierra Leone. That's where my father was from. And then obviously Tokyo. These places are so significant to me. America is where I was born, but Sierra Leone, that's my bloodline. That's my ancestral birthright. Japan is like my spiritual home in so many ways. So for me to be able to go, it's like the equivalent of if a child moved out of their home and they want to come home and see their parents. 
So to me, that's like going home on different levels of my psyche. So I think I would have to say um, I would make a trip from United States to Sierra Leone, but I would have my layover in Japan. I would want to go to Japan first and just kind of and introduce Frank to Japan. He's never been to either place. So I would be super happy to introduce him to my friends and my family because I have people there that I consider my absolute family. And there's an energy that I get when I'm in a, when I'm in Japan. There's a happiness. There's a joy. And what would I drink? I know my choice, my preferred alcohol, especially. Doesn't have to be alcohol. That's up to oh, you. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Well, we see where I went. Well, mine will be alcohol, and it will be umeshu. And that is, it's called umeshu. Ume means plum. Umeshu. Mm-hmm. So they call it like a plum wine. That is my absolute favorite alcoholic drink. Um, and I would absolutely love to enjoy that with him. And since it's my my dream and my fantasy, we'll go ahead and say maybe around October, around my birthday, because it's fall and the weather is nice and the leaves are gorgeous. We would stay there for, because you know, I have all the money and all the time. We'll stay there for about a month because that's how long it's going to take me to just catch up to everybody and I want to have some new experiences while I'm there. I've lived there 13 years, but I always learn something new. And from there, we would go to Sierra Leone because um, November, December is the best time weather-wise. It's not humid. It's a dry, beautiful heat and connect with my family and connect with the the with Mother Africa, like the beginning of everything. Not only my bloodline, but everybody's bloodline. <laughs> And um, actually, I don't have a favorite drink for there. So, yeah, nothing in particular. Probably like a fruit juice because I really like juices and anything natural. That's my preference. Um, so I think those would be my two locations. That would be mm-hmm. my person. And those would be my drink. And you're the first person that's taken up and said, there's my first two locations and my first two drinks. So, you know, breaking the way. <laughs> exactly. That's what I do. I'm a trailblazer. I, I want to make a path for other people to say, you know what? I can color outside the lines. Just because you were given something doesn't mean you're limited to that. Mm. Even if even if I have to answer within this to, for example, to get the correct answer for a test, does not mean that my mind will not think outside of that. And no one can control what you think. Even if I'm expected to answer between A and B, that's fine. But I can still come out and say something completely different for myself and that's the way I think I take what you say and then I expand it and I put my own flavor on it so I hope that encourages people to know you are not limited to what's been given you or even told to you Mm -hmm. do what you want do it how you want and we're not talking about the final question in a podcast interview we're talking about Francesca Conate's message for life yeah I think it's been a brilliant episode thanks so much Francesca my absolute pleasure thank you (laughs) my absolute pleasure thanks so much for listening to today's MS show please subscribe rate and review this podcast and if you'd like to get more involved with the MS show why not join our Facebook community just search Facebook for the MS show come back soon for another dose of MS information and inspiration You've been listening to the MS Show podcast.